0: So press play on good sleep tonight because a good tomorrow starts with a good night's sleep. Just search for good sleep in your podcast app and be sure to pick the one from Optimal Living Daily. This is Optimal Living Daily, episode 1649, Why Does Being Present Matter? And Do You Take Things Personally? Both by Genevieve Douglas with WUPA.com. And I'm Justin Mollick, the guy that reads to you every single day of the year, including weekends and holidays to help you live a more meaningful and positive life two posts today, both from Whoopah.com. so let's get right to them as we optimize your life. Why does being present matter? By Genevieve Douglas with Whoopah.com. Be in the now, he said for about the 16th time this class as he led us into a wide-legged forward bend. Be in the now, okay. Focus on my fatiguing hamstrings, now somewhere between a dull ache and a foaming, burning feeling. I'm not sure what's so fantastic about the now. I'm definitely not enjoying this. Sweat is running into my eyes. Ew. When are we gonna change poses? I really need to bend my knees. I might be close to tearing a muscle. Am I still in the now? I guess I'm frustrated. That's the now for me. Is that really what he wants me to be thinking? This is just a snippet of my crazy thought train during a few seconds of a yoga class in which I was struggling to be mindful. Be in the now or be mindful or stay in the present are all phrases that have begun to lose their meaning for me. So let's refresh them. Why be in the present? There's an abundance of research forming around the benefits of meditation practice. Much of it is around mindfulness meditation, usually defined as paying attention in the present moment non-judgmentally. Here's just a light roundup of a few of these findings. Decreased stress, worry, anxiety, depression, and anger a sense of greater well-being even when mindful for just a moment, an increased sense of joy, hope, vitality, contentment, and inspiration, better ability to control emotional reactions, increased self-awareness, and improved immune system function. So, how does mindfulness work? A Buddhist model of mindfulness created by British Columbia researchers theorizes that every sensation we experience carries a feeling tone of pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. We experience thousands of sensations in the space of a second, so we usually don't even notice this feeling tone, but it's the subtle pleasantness that creates desire and the subtle unpleasantness creates aversion. For example, the uncomfortable tightness just below the ribs that indicates what we label hunger creates a desire for food. Because there are so many sensations passing so quickly, it's easier for our desires and aversions to become habit and then identity. As a result, we think we love chocolate, or we don't like our mother-in-law, or we need coffee every morning. Mindfulness allows us to break habits. Habits in the way we think, feel, and behave. It's not the thought that counts. One of the most common ways to begin meditating is by focusing on your breath. You see if you can bring your entire attention without dividing it to your breath. Maybe the way it feels going in and out of your nose. Maybe the sense that some hairs are wiggling or that one nostril is a little more restricted, or whether the breath is smooth or jagged as it goes in and out. But doing this alone is not necessarily a mindfulness practice, it's a concentration practice. During your concentration practice, thoughts and feelings are bound to float into your focus. The mindfulness comes in, according to renowned mindfulness teacher Sharon Salzberg, when you notice. It's the noticing that is important, not the concentration. This is where you have the opportunity to be different, she says. You can decide to let go of the thought and go back to the breath. You can decide not to judge yourself or your experiences. I was doing a lot of judging in my yoga class. I didn't like holding the pose or the sensation in my hamstrings. These are both judgments that I made about my experience. From those judgments came desire, a desire to get out of the pose. As meditation teacher James Baraz points out, once you are noticing, you're no longer busy judging. Your attention is no longer bound up in liking or disliking because it's busy observing. Just by noticing what you're desiring or what you have an aversion to, you're often freed from that desire or aversion. Don't be put off by the formal practice. Noticing what you are aware of doesn't need to involve sitting cross-legged on a special pillow. The reason that you sit down and practice in a quiet place is so that you can do it more easily during more distracting times like when you're in a yoga class and sweat is dripping into your eye. Noticing is key in breaking habits and forming new ones. It's what gives you space to shape your life. Do you take things personally? By Genevieve Douglas with WooPa.com. I was doing CrossFit for maybe the third time in my life, seeing that my yoga practice wasn't necessarily giving me enough strengthening or cardio. I've got a background as a yoga teacher and I've taken some anatomy classes, so I felt these things would give me a leg up on understanding proper form for weightlifting. I happen to be there with a friend of a friend, Jack, who's been doing CrossFit for quite a while, over a year at least. Anyway, Jack was holding his breath while lifting a heavy weight and seemed to be struggling. So I told him that exhaling would give him more muscle support in his core. Though I know he heard me, he just silently looked ahead and continued on holding his breath. He seemed really uncomfortable and was clearly not following my suggestion. Then I became uncomfortable. I fixated on this peculiar interaction, wondering why he wouldn't listen to me. After all, I have some background in fitness and he doesn't. Why does he think he knows better than I do? Why isn't he respecting my thoughts? It took me longer than I'd like to admit to notice that I was being really protective of my identity as a yoga teacher. My focus narrowed in on myself. Later, I found out that he had specifically been taught to hold his breath by the gym where he first learned lifting from, so this is what he knew to be correct. It didn't occur to me that maybe he was drawing on some other information he had. I made an assumption that he was actively disagreeing with me specifically, and I took things personally. I think there are a lot of things I could pull out of this interaction, the self-focused spiral, the ruminating, the implications of respect, but what stood out most to me after reflecting on it was how much I clung to my yoga teacher identity. I've recently been attending Buddhist Dharma talks at various places, and the concept of identity is covered in anatta, or not-self. The notion of not-self is not that you don't have a self, but that no one thing is yourself. It says that no one thing defines you, and you are always changing. For example, I'm not a yoga teacher, but someone who sometimes teaches yoga. I'm not a writer, but I sometimes write. What's the benefit of thinking about it this way? It puts space between you and one particular identity. It helps in moments like the one with Jack, allowing me to step back and listen to him without any expectation one way or another. I don't need to know everything about the subject, and I don't need to see it as offensive if someone doesn't take my suggestions. Instead, thinking of myself as not that gives me a freedom to be whatever I need to be in any situation. If I had been looking at the situation without clinging so much to this identity, I could have seen that Jack didn't mean it personally. He just had his own technique. You just listened to the posts titled, Why Does Being Present Matter? And Do You Take Things Personally? Both by Genevieve Douglas with Wupa.com. and That should do it for today. Have a great rest of your day and we will be back tomorrow as usual where your optimal life awaits.